let's talk about Timnith. For those who don't know, Timnith is a small bedroom community just east of Fort Collins. So, and now I'm speaking to my northern Colorado locals. What comes to mind when you hear Timnith? The population of the once tiny farming community has exploded. So you might think of its growing subdivisions, its rows and rows of new houses. Its little main street might pop into your head, with its neat mix of historic buildings and new construction. It has just about the cutest little brick post office I've ever seen. And if you're a fan of rotisserie chicken, like myself, when you hear Timnith, you might just think, Costco. (laughs) See, Timnith is home to Northern Colorado's sole Costco. And boy, is that place busy. The Harmony Road intersection closest to Costco is kind of a central hub at the entrance of Timnith. If you listen closely, that's where those traffic sounds in the background are coming from. Head south at the intersection, and you're at Costco. Go north, and you're in a bustling Walmart shopping center, complete with a Chick-fil-A and Starbucks. But if you just keep going east, slightly on Harmony Road, and turn right into this little turnoff with a big yellow metal gate, you'll be in another world entirely. Beyond its gates, it has an old farmhouse, some other houses and mobile homes, an old hay barn and Quonset hut, and about 180 metal sculptures? Yeah, you heard that last part right. This aging slice of old Timnith I speak of has roughly 180 sculptures, welded out of old buses, cars, and spare metal parts. There are spacemen and alligators, a robot made out of an old TV, a T-Rex towering over 20 feet tall, a minion wearing jeans. But after delighting generations, the free sculpture park and famous roadside stop is closing up shop after almost 40 years. Like the land around it, where Costco and Walmart sit, Sweatsville Zoo is being sold, with plans to develop it. So in this latest episode of The Way It Was, let's trace the history of the sculpture park before it's gone. Let's jump back into time to before Sweatsville Zoo was Sweatsville Zoo. Let's go back to the 1930s, in fact, and to, of all places, Alaska. Just stay with me. I promise this will all make sense soon. I'm Erin Udell with a Fort Collins, Coloradoan, and you're listening to the 33rd episode of The Way It Was, a podcast podcast. And this is a send-off to Sweatsville Zoo. So I'll just leave this here. So you said you're 81? Yeah. 81. And where were you born? I was born in Haines, Alaska. It's a little Indian village on the top of the inside passageway. You know Alaska's got that big long tail Mm -hmm. down. This is at the top of that. My folks were missionaries there for 16 years. That's Bill Sweats the man behind Sweatsville Zoo. And I'm shouting at him, by the way, because he's hard of hearing. Bill is 81, and while he was born in Alaska, he spent almost all his life in Timnith. He was born in Haines, and his parents worked there as missionaries, 
running an orphanage known as Haynes House. But they didn't stay too long after Bill was born. And the, the reason for that is, I said they were there for 16 years, and I've got a bro- or I had a brother four, four and a half years older, so they were starting to get a family, you know. Mm-hmm. And they, they said, uh, you know, Haynes is, was a real frontier town. They, uh, they shot the sheriff right next to my dad. Yeah. It was rough. They, they wanted a more civilized They life. wanted something a little bit. <laughs> well, the Japanese, too. The Japanese were coming in. Oh, yeah. This, is, this was in uh, 39 and 40. Mm. That voice you just heard in the background belongs to Diane Tribble, Bill's partner. And she was referring to the mounting fears over World War II and a possible Japanese invasion of Alaska. And in fact, that did end up happening with the Aleutian Islands campaign of 1942, when Japanese forces landed on and occupied the islands of Kiska and Attu. It was one of only two invasions of U.S. territory during the war. And so they said, we got to get out of here. Well, then I showed up and they <laughs> they said, it's time. You were a good reason. To well, they said Alaska wasn't big enough yeah. for me. <laughs> How old were you when Ten moved months. Here? Ten months. So you spent all your life here. Okay. I never left home. With Bill's dad being from New Mexico and his mom coming from Michigan, I asked him how they ended up in Colorado, of all places. That brought him back to Haynes' house, the orphanage in Alaska, where his dad worked. Dad had to have work at that orphanage, and he, he hired this guy that had graduated from Aggies up here, CSU. Mm-hmm. And that guy was always bragging about this country. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dad says, the next time we get down to the States, we're going to go through there and see if it's as good as he thought. He, Dad went through there, and it was such so nice that he bought this farm. Bill's dad, John Sweats, ended up purchasing 120 acres of pristine Timnith farmland for $12,000. I'm going to just let that sink in for a little bit. Soon after, the family moved into a little farmhouse, which is still standing on the property today. It was originally a one-room lofted cabin built by the pioneering Klein family in the 1850s, Bill told me. You can still see its log walls peeking through patches of missing siding. It's pretty cool. The rock chimney's original, too. Well, Bill grew up there with his older brother, Jack, and a little sister, Angela. What was it like, what was Timnith like when you were growing up here? What was it like growing up here? Yeah. What was Timnith like when you were growing up? Timnith. The community like? Yeah. 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 Uh, Nothing like it is now. We went wherever we pleased, did whatever we wanted, and uh, we trapped muskrats to make a little extra money and... On mowed lawns up in Timnath to make a little extra money. Did whatever we felt like, you know. Mm-hmm. And we'd walk from here to Timnath, 
mile away. He didn't worry about anything. Life in Little Timnip sounded simple and quiet for the Sweats family. There was one incident, though, that was anything but peaceful. After leaving Alaska as World War II was ratcheting up in 1941, the war ended up finding the Sweats in, of all places, Timnip. That story is up next after the break. Hello there, it's me again. And I'd like to just use this little podcast intermission to talk about the Colorado and digital subscription offerings. You're probably sick of hearing this, but too bad. The truth is, I'm only able to do my job, to write the stories I write, and make such cool and interesting and groundbreaking, really, truly groundbreaking podcast episodes because of Colorado and subscribers. So if you haven't already, consider getting a digital subscription today. If you want to subscribe and show your support for the way it was in the process, you can do so at coloradoandcom slash podcast offer. All right, back to the show. Mr. President, I want to know what the situation is. My name is Mr. Dear Mr. President, maybe you could tell us why we're Mr. President, I'm a housewife. Is there anything that the American people can do? Mr. President, we the people want to speak to you. You've spoken to us so often, chatted with us as though 130 million people just live down the road apiece. It's been easier for you to drop in on us than for us to call on you. But we've been thinking... Can't some of us chat with him as he's so often chatted by our fireside? Not all of us, of course, could reach you. 130 million people. What you're hearing is a recording of an old radio show called Dear Mr. President. In it, everyday people pretty much just ask President Franklin Roosevelt questions. It's kind of their response to the president's famous fireside chats. The year? 1941. That same year, Bill Sweats was born, and the U.S. would eventually enter World War II following the December 7th attack on Pearl Harbor. That's what you're about to hear. We got the bright idea last summer, really. A summer full of trouble over there. A trouble that hadn't come to us yet. That's when we wanted to talk to you most. About the brand new word of 1941. Defense. And a brand new phrase. The draft. Yes, that's when we got the bright idea. It was a scary, uncertain time. So much so that the Sweats family left Alaska for northern Colorado in 1942. But one day, three years later, Bill's older brother Jack was helping his father in one of the family's corrals when he heard a buzzing roar and saw a flash of light go directly over his head. It was, if you can believe it, an incendiary bomb launched by the Japanese government as part of a World War II campaign. The Sweats had left Alaska trying to outrun any possible Japanese attack, but there they were, in Timnath, Colorado, 
looking into a crater created by a hydrogen bomb on their farm. Jack, my, my big brother, he, uh, he saw it hit, and it just scared the living daylights out of him. And I can remember him coming in the kitchen door, white as a sheet, he couldn't say a word. It was so scared. Mm. And I remember going out there, and I mean, there's people everywhere. And I remember looking down in the hole, and you could see parts of it down in the hole. And when they got, well, of course, they dug the whole thing up, you know. Mm. And the government said, you're not telling you're not talking to anybody about this. That was common. According to the Coloradoans' late history columnist, Barbara Fleming, who wrote about this several years ago, the U.S. government suppressed information about these bombs. There were more than 9,000 launched by Japan between November 1944 and April 1945. But they didn't cause much loss of life, and the government suppression of the bombings led Japan to abandon the bombing campaign entirely. And despite being told to keep mum about the bombing, Jack Sweats needed to have a little something to remember it by. My little brother, the little brother, big brother, I bet I was bigger. <laughs> we were cleaning out the basement for after the folks were gone, and he picks up this gray piece of material (laughs) and he said you know what this is I said no I have no idea he said this is part of the bomb I snuck it out of there (laughs) after the excitement of 1945 things went back to normal on the sweats farm Bill and his siblings would help out their father and Bill started showing a knack for welding and mechanical work His dad apparently never bought equipment new, giving Bill a lot of old vehicles and farm tools to tinker with. After graduating high school, he married his late wife, Sandy, and they settled on the farm where Bill continued to tend to its dairy cows and fields of corn, grain, and alfalfa. Starting in the early 60s, they had three boys. Three boys in 14 months. Sandy also started experiencing what would become years of health issues, leaving her in and out of the hospital. Okay, we're reading the the newspaper, and here's a picture of somebody that built a bicycle for six. Oh, loudmouth Bill, he says, I can do better than that. (laughs) Sandy's... She was out of the hospital at that time. And I said, yeah, I can build for, I can build one for 10. I got to think about it for a bit. I can build one for 10. So she's back in the hospital. And I have a friend that had a bicycle shop in Loveland. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we didn't have two nickels to rub together. You know, it was tight. And I bought 10 pair of handlebars, <laughs> 10 seats. Went to Sandy in the hospital and told her. She was not happy. <laughs> okay, we get it built. It works fine. And every other person pedaled 
because my kids were too little to reach the pedals. Mm -hmm. We get the sucker out on the road and we rode it down to the corner here and turned it around and come back. Boy, it worked just slick. Well, somebody called a Colorado and said, hey, you won't believe what's going on down there, Tim. So they come down and did a story on it. And uh, then they put it on AP wire photo. And I have newspapers from all over the world on that. Wow. I mean, every day I'd, in the mailbox, there'd be a newspaper. Anyway, Sandy's back out of the hospital, and <laughs> all these newspapers are coming. She never complained again about the money I spent on something oh. a little screwy, you know? Yeah. No, that took care of that. <laughs> After getting his first taste of publicity, real local fame would find Bill about 15 years later, in the 1980s. By then, he was in his 40s. He was still farming, and he also volunteered for the Timnath Fire Department, which he'd helped start years before. The department began as a bunch of country boys looking to have fun, Bill joked. He even built the department's first fire truck. But things started to take a turn around the 80s. The department was growing. More responsibility. And then... They added medical to us. So we have a car wreck and we've got to sweep it up. You work on your friends and neighbors and that hurts. So I'd come home at two o'clock in the morning after doing some nasty stuff. I shouldn't say nasty, uncomfortable stuff. You can't sleep. So I mess around in the shop. After building hot rods and working on farm equipment most of his life, Bill grabbed some old parts that were lying around. He started welding, giving this creation of his little bike fork legs, a garden shovel body, and giant amber eyes fashioned out of plastic light reflectors. Standing at just over two feet tall, there it was, Buzzard George a tiny little buzzard sculpture that would kick off Bill's nearly 40-year hobby. I just kept going. It's never, been a, it's never been a business or anything. It's still just a hobby. When did you, when did you start calling this the Sweatsville Zoo? Who, who gave oh, that name? Sandy and I were sitting around. We were sitting around a supper table and just shooting the bull. And, and of course... My brother lived here on a place, and my folks were still here. And uh, it's a zoo around here all the time, so we called it Sweatsville Zoo, and that was it. As Bill kept sculpting, the Sweats property started becoming what it is now, a sculpture park. People kept stopping by to see his latest creation. So eventually he and Sandy decided to officially call the property Sweatsville Zoo. Bill built every creature you can think of, even some that don't exist. <laughs> he put an old Volkswagen Beetle on giant spider legs overlooking the Poudre River. He sculpted creatures and people, flowers and fishermen. 
One day, he decided to turn an old Denver bus into a 40-foot motorhome for Sandy so they could travel together in retirement. He named it the Dream Machine. Unfortunately, the Dream Machine's first trip was to the Mayo Clinic, where doctors gave Sandy three months to three years to live. Bill smiles when he tells me they got 14 years together. Sandy died in 2010. Sandy and I were extremely close. I mean, 51 years and two days, and and we were still on a honeymoon. Mm. It was, we were, I've been, I have been so fortunate that I got two of the best women in the world. That's the truth. That's the truth. I've been real lucky. Starting about 20 years ago, Bill's been splitting his time between Texas and Timnith. But he kept welding, and he always came back to his hometown. Over time, the sweats sold off chunks of their original 120 acres, until all that's left now are 36. With development, like the Costco and the Walmart, now encircling the land, Bill said he knew he'd have to sell that piece too. It started with 120 acres. Now we're down to 36. And this is the last bit of land this that you're it. selling off. So um, why, did you, why was this the last piece? And, and why are you officially selling it? Well, kept chopping chunks off, you know. And uh, we had, yeah, that's right, traffic, mm-hmm. big city. Yeah. Uh, I was hoping, I was hoping to keep the, the zoo all in one piece, mm-hmm. down in along the river. Mm-hmm. Well... The ground's too valuable to have a sculpture setting on it. That's what it amounts to. In 2019, Bill put the land up for sale, and earlier this year, it found its buyer. Macaulay Development Group went under contract for the Sweats property with plans to close on it this December. Despite wanting to keep all of his sculptures together, Bill thought that was unrealistic. As he told me, a lot of people and organizations and towns had reached out to him wanting a sculpture or two, just not all 180. (laughs) So he resigned himself to splitting them up. Then, just this month, that plan changed. Can you start off by saying your first and last name and your title? Liz Newman, Managing Partner, Macaulay Development Group. Liz is behind the plan to develop the Sweats property, and currently they're calling the project the Timnith Gateway Project, with a new mixed-use live-work-play community going in. Basically, it'll be a combination of residential and retail buildings, it sounds like. So I assume that in most of the other development projects you've worked on, you haven't had to consider the future of 180 metal sculptures. Um, so when, when Macaulay went under contract on this flexible property, what was that initial plan for, for the sculptures that were, that are currently on the property? Well, all, all in all, we've always loved the sculptures. However, we were, uh, committed to taking only a few 
um, per our contract because at the time other people were uh, interested in some of them and although I know Mr. Sweats wanted us to have all of them, we were talked to by the city about not necessarily being able to do so. But apparently there was some confusion in that and so um, we were actually able to keep more than uh, our deadline of June 30th by our contract which we had uh, to determine how many we would keep at that time. So at that time, we had come up with 13. And But since we had more time after that to determine that we could keep more, uh, Mr. Sweats gave us the additional opportunity to have more, and, uh, and the community definitely wanted us to, have, to keep them there, as did we. And so we searched for more opportunities within the land, talked to uh, the engineers, et cetera, to be able to have those uh, abilities. And therefore, we're going to try and find a location that is more on the floodplain side of the property and uh, locate them there for where people can come and visit them and see them uh, on the south side of the property. So you can visit that at any time, and it doesn't interrupt anything on the development portion of the project. Um, and, uh, I mean, it doesn't flood that often. So it's usually always dry over there, and uh, it's a place where people can come and visit and, and uh, see those dinosaurs and all the ingenious items that were built by Mr. Sweats, and people come and enjoy. Every time I go to the property, there's somebody there visiting uh, the, the, the sculptures. So I think uh, they can continue to come and visit and enjoy them for years to come. All told, Bill plans to keep a few of his favorite sculptures. He's also set aside a couple for an estate sale planned on the property this fall. But the majority of Bill's sculptures, the ones that people have visited for decades, will remain on the Sweats property, with Macaulay Development Group creating its own little sculpture park. This all came together a few days after my visit with Bill, but Diane told me later that he is ecstatic with this development. Diane calls the sculptures Bill's children, and now they'll be able to stay home together. At the end of my recent trip to Sweatsville Zoo, Bill took me out on a golf cart tour of the land he's known all his life. We rode to that log cabin turned farmhouse where he and his family came to in 1942. If you look right there, you can see the logs. Yeah. Do your parents build that? No. Okay. A guy by the name of Klein built that in pre-1865. He showed me the dream machine, which still has the sweats painted on its side. We, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't uncommon to stop at a uh, pickup fuel six miles a gallon. <laughs> and they want to know what musical group the sweats built <laughs> I bet. It looks like a tour bus. Yeah, I'll show you some of the rigs I've built. And we wove through his meandering path of sculptures. The dinosaurs, the creatures, the big arrangement of welded wind chimes. But this, these are the best ones. This visit marked Bill's last to Timnath, at least for now. 
After tying up some loose ends, he and Diane left the property and headed east to their new home, which Bill purchased in northeastern Colorado. Maybe he'll come back, though. After all, with his sculpture staying put, he'll have something to come back to. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you liked tracing the Sweatsville Zoo's story from the 1930s to now, with a rare peek, for this podcast at least, into the future. I'd like to thank Bill and Diane for showing me around Sweatsville Zoo one last time, and Liz Newman for sharing what the future of the property looks like, including the future of its beloved sculptures. And of course, thank you, dear listeners, for hanging in there for another episode of The Way It Was, the Coloradoans' podcast podcast. Until next time, history nerds.